ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Fantasy Law Guy podcast. I'm Nick Garisco at Fantasy Law Guy. The 2021 Fantasy Law Guide is here. So is Marquez Callaway. Let's break down the mid-rounds. I keep dropping the ball! Oh, I keep the ball! He did what? Playoffs? What are talking about? Playoffs? Who the hell is Mel Kiper? They are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. It's my quarterback. What the hell's going on out here? I cannot play with them. Cannot win with them. Cannot coach with them. Can't do it. Can't wait. You like that? Like that. Just keep attriculating the ball down the field, boys. I saw, son. I saw. Hello. You play to win the game. Sends the Saints to the Super Bowl. On Monday, I provided detailed outlooks of every player in the first three rounds of my fantasy law guide, which is my draft board and strategy guide. That's posted for free, obviously, on fantasylawguide.com. That podcast took about two and a half hours, and this one may too. In the rare event that you finished listening to that episode, today I'm going to be talking about how to attack the mid-rounds of fantasy drafts this season, or at least how I'm doing it. But first, we are in the heart of fantasy draft season right now, and as I've mentioned before, my draft board is fluid. It is a fluid document, so in order to provide listeners with the most up-to-date analysis, I'm going to start each upcoming episode with any news and changes that I made to the board just so everyone can kind of stay apprised with my thought process here and kind of how we adapt to new news which is changing all the time this is the NFL and training camp preseason still going on Uh, so a few adjustments were made but first let's actually go through the Saints Jaguars preseason game getting a lot of questions about that from my two or three listeners here because there were some massive implications from that preseason game. Last night, the Saints and the Jaguars played on Monday Night Football. It was televised on ESPN, which is... Y'all don't want to go out there and get embarrassed on Monday Night Football in front of everybody? Important from my perspective, because that means viewership was high. That means the reactions to what happened in that game, what transpired, they're going to be magnified, potentially an overreaction. But make no mistake about it, this was a very important preseason game. Probably as important of a preseason game as you can possibly get, to be honest. The Saints were deciding their quarterback competition. And Jameis Winston, you know, he put on a total clinic there. He was surgical in the first quarter. He picked apart the Jags' defense, really effectively winning the starting job. And I think evidence of that is the fact that Sean Payton just pulled him after that second long touchdown because he didn't want to risk injury to his starting quarterback, which I can, I don't want to say definitively say, but confidently say that it will be Jameis Winston getting uh, opening as the opening day starter. Maybe Taysom Hill will mix in there like he did with Drew Brees, kind of in the red zone, kind of doing the read option, trick plays, that kind of stuff, uh, just kind of as a gadget player. But I think Winston will be the starting quarterback for the Saints. I think that was pretty clear. That is not really breaking news. And I noted in the fantasy law guide that I fully expect Winston to be the opening day starter. Uh, So it wasn't really a surprise from that perspective. But the big surprise was just how amazing everything looked. And the biggest story here was Marquez Callaway, wide receiver. He was undrafted. He played on the Saints last season, but he didn't really make a huge name for himself. He was kind of rotating in with Emmanuel Sanders, with Traquan Smith 
when Michael Thomas was down. Um, he caught all five of his targets from Winston in the first quarter for 104 receiving yards and two amazing touchdowns, deep touchdown. One of them was one-handed. And that was all in one quarter of play. Now, bear in mind this was against the lowly Jacksonville Jaguars, barely their defense uh, man, they looked rough, and we'll talk about them in a second. But Callaway and Winston were on fire, and they were nothing short of spectacular. Um, as far as fantasy implications here, I think we can view Winston as a late quarterback two uh, who is going as a quarterback three in super flex formats. I think he's an ideal quarterback three because that's where his ADP kind of is right now. I'm higher than most experts on Winston. I have him as a as quarterback 21 in my rankings. You can't really necessarily see that on my fantasy uh, law guide because it's not geared towards Superflex leagues, although it should be because Superflex is the future and it is the best format. But in one quarterback leagues, which is what most people unfortunately play, uh, this is still somebody you don't really need to be drafting. He probably should not be on the redraft radar for one quarterback leagues. He is. That doesn't mean he's not fantasy relevant. It just means he's more of a matchup-based kind of streaming option, as are a bunch of quarterbacks in the fantasy football uh, world. Uh, the real question here is where does Marquez Callaway go in drafts now? Because he is certainly going to be going a lot higher uh, especially, like I said, because this was a nationally televised game. And if you're listening to this, most of my listeners are local. They are Saints fans. So yes, Callaway's already been drafted pretty higher than you would think in, in the several, I've done several home leagues last year. I haven't been in position to get him. And I would say I'm higher than experts on Callaway, but yet there's somebody always in my league who's willing to take the gamble on Callaway and good on them because now his value is substantially increased. Uh, in my drafts that I've done so far, uh, which have been pretty sharp, even though they are home leagues, uh, Callaway's been going probably in round 12-ish. And again, that's much higher than where he's normally going in non-Saints fans draft, I would say. He's probably going, I think his ADP right now is in the 170s. Again, that's bound to shoot up. So let's talk about how much it should shoot up. Uh, obviously, the you know the kid, you know, he's undrafted. He's got good size, but the kid can obviously play. He's obviously got a rapport with Jameis Winston going on. But the main reason he's so valuable is because the Saints receivers, I, I mean, there's just total dust. Uh, without Michael Thomas, there's really nothing there. Even their number two receiver uh, outside of uh, Marcus Callaway, uh, Deontay Harris is probably going to be suspended for the first two weeks of the season or at some point in the season because of an offseason DUI that he picked up or got um, arrested for. So yeah, there's just total, it's a barren wasteland behind Michael Thomas and behind Michael Callaway. Uh, or sorry, Mark West Calloway at receiver for the Saints, which gives him a great opportunity for production. Uh, and, and this is not, obviously last night was a surprise. Like there's no, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that it wasn't surprising. They looked amazing. But the drumbeat in practices has been steady throughout camp. And even dating back to OTAs that Mark West Calloway has been the best receiver on this Saints team now that Michael Thomas has been out. So I think that a lot of this was kind of a coming out party for him, but I think a lot of people on the team and close to the team are like, yeah, I mean, he is our number one receiver. So where are we, where are we going to be putting him on boards? Uh, because I had heard about this drumbeat and because I had figured he was going to be the Saints' number one receiver, at least temporarily until Michael Thomas came back, he was on my draft board and his advisable target 
but it was too late. I mean, I was way too late on him. I had him as a deep sleeper, like a late round dart throw, like rounds 12 fit through 15 there. You could even get him later than that in some non-local leagues here and some non-New uh, Orleans leagues. But but again, I obviously haven't been high enough on Callaway because I've already drafted in, in four of the leagues I care about a lot, and I haven't even been positioned to get Callaway. He's on my draft board, not in the top 75, but he always just goes way higher than uh, I would have been willing to take that gamble. And again, good on those guys who took that risk. However, uh, now, you know, where does he go? I think the, there's two major variables here. Is he going to make the top 75 on my board? Uh, I, don't, I don't really know. Uh, I think that, you know, he's comparable to the last receivers on my board. That's kind of where I took a look first. That they, they are Corey Davis, Jarvis Landry, and Devontae Smith, receivers 29 through 31. And I'll talk about them later today in this episode because it is a mid-round episode. Uh, I'm going to evaluate why I have all of them ranked there. But I kind of view Callaway in a similar light to all of them. They're all kind of number one receivers for their team uh, with a not that great quarterback situation. Uh, and yes, I do think Jarvis Landry is the number one fantasy receiver for his team. I'll talk about why shortly. Uh, spoiler alert. But again, you know, a lot really depends. It's two variables depends on if I'm going to be putting Marcus Callaway in my top 75, like in my in my big board there. And I think the first variable is where are the mainstream sites going to be putting? Like where's ESPN? Where's Yahoo going to be ranking him? Right now, obviously, he's like in the late 150s, 170s. But are they going to move him to like the 60s to where it's going to be really tough to get Callaway without spending like a fifth or sixth round pick? That seems pretty aggressive. But you could see them doing that. Or are they going to move him like, I don't know, to closer to ADP around 100, which is where Jarvis Landry, Corey Davis, Devontae Smith are, are going. And that's why that's what makes them so attractive. That's why I have them on my draft board. So a lot depends on variables outside of you know my control there. And that all, that strategy goes into whether I want them on my board, whether I want listeners to be targeting them or not, depending on just whether they're affordable in drafts, whether it makes sense. So that's one uh, issue here. The other issue is, you know, what's going to happen with Michael Thomas? Because I know that Saints fans especially, I know the fantasy community is is pretty excited about Marquez Calloway. Think, oh, he's going to be a breakout, you know, star, a sleeper at the very minimum. Uh, but we have to remember that that Michael Thomas is the number one receiver on this team. Uh, believe it or not, Marquez Calloway is not better than Michael Thomas. He's not going to overtake a healthy Michael Thomas when Michael Thomas comes back. Um, and that is projected to be around week seven. So, you know, what are we going to get out of Callaway until week seven? I don't know. Maybe a receiver two, maybe a receiver three. Definitely probably a flex option for sure. He's in that conversation and he probably will be a top 75 player until week seven. But unfortunately, my fantasy draft board goes beyond week seven. This is a full season evaluation. And when Michael Thomas comes back, which I think that he will, even though it's no guarantee, when Michael comes back or Michael Thomas comes back around week seven, that's going to make Callaway a lot more volatile. It's going to make him a lot more inconsistent. I don't think he's going to take the leading receiver role away from Callaway. I mean, sorry, away from Michael Thomas, even though Jameis Winston seems to have a rapport with Callaway. So right now I'm just kind of viewing Callaway as a, as a guy who's going to really help your teams out a lot in the early season. And we never know what's going to happen with Michael Thomas. He might get traded. He might just sit out and pout. He also might just come back healthy and just go back to his dominating ways. He might be motivated by somebody like Marcus Callaway stepping up. So in all the fan support that Callaway's going to get. So yeah, 
it, it comes down to, you know, what you think Callaway is really going to be. I think right now, seventh, eighth round pick, definitely kind of in the range we're looking at for Marquez Callaway. I think when I'm on the draft, when I'm on the clock, I view him similarly to the receivers I mentioned already, kind of Corey Davis, Jarvis Landry, and Devontae Smith. And I'm high on those guys. So I don't, I don't view that as a, uh, as an insult at all. Like I'm way higher than ADP on all those guys, as you'll see in momentarily as we get further along in this podcast episode today. So um, is he going to make the top 75 on my, like on my draft board? Uh, I'm not sure. He'll be right kind of on the borderline right now. Again, big variables. It really depends on what really happens with Michael Thomas and which we're not going to know by the time you draft, but really where the, where the market moves, where is the market going to place Marquez Callaway, and if it's too cost prohibitive, then he's probably not going to be on my draft board. Let's talk about other Saints news here. Latavius Murray, wow, he looks. I don't know what happened to him in offseason. He obviously he looks like a plotter right now. He's averaging only 1.3 yards in uh, preseason, so basically he's just kind of falling forward and just getting those yards. That is not good. He may be on the roster bubble here for the Saints. His ADP is still in the early 100s right now. I do not think he should be drafted in any fantasy football format right now. I don't think he should be on fantasy radars, and he's not on my fantasy radars. He wasn't in my draft guide beforehand, and Tony Jones is probably going to be a late round sleeper. He's probably Alvin Kamara's handcuff here now, although I don't know if it's necessarily wise to be uh, rostering a handcuff just yet because I don't know if it's actionable just yet. Tony Jones has looked good, but I think he may split the work with Ty Montgomery, uh, receiver slash running back, kind of hybrid there. Montgomery's also looked good. And so if something were to happen with Kamara, I don't know, they might be splitting work. You're going to have to uh, excuse my uh, my producer, Baby Reese. I mentioned in my uh, first podcast and my return here that I do have a newborn, Catherine Reese Carisco. We welcomed her into life on August 3rd. Of course, right in the heat of fantasy draft season. I'll move on real quick. You might hear her crying in the background. Don't worry. My amazing wife is here tending to my beautiful daughter. Adam Troutman, he did get hurt in this game. He was carted off, so it looks like a pretty serious injury. Uh, I think he's having an MRI later today. He was also not featured in the fantasy law guide, which means you weren't really targeting or you weren't really in position to get him if you were following my draft guide. He wasn't really even mentioned as a sleeper tight end, which a lot of experts kind of are touting him as. I think one reason I didn't like him there is because I thought that the Saints were kind of kind of do a tight end by committee with Jaywan James, uh, which I'll talk about in a second. But also just kind of, you know, there was a little bit of un- uh, quarterback uncertainty. You know, if Drew Brees was here, obviously, and it was Michael Thomas getting hurt. Yeah, of course, Adam Trout wanted to be a sleeper. But with the uncertainty at quarterback, it's just tough to say that I just kind of prefer other late-round tight ends to Adam Troutman. Uh, but I do think the kid can play. I mean, I think he's a good player, probably a better real-life player, blocker type, than a fantasy uh, football player right now. Um, but a name to keep an eye on, Nick Nick Vanette also got hurt in this game. That's the Saints' backup tight end. So a name to keep an eye on is not Nick Vanette, but it's Jaywan James. Uh, he is the third tight end for the Saints right now. He's a converted wide receiver, and you know what kind of damage uh, converted kind of move tight ends, uh, if you will, can do in Sean Payton's offense. So Jaywan James, a name to keep in mind later in your drafts, especially if these MRIs on Nick Vanette and Adam Troutman come back negative or I guess positive, I should say, but in a negative, um, unfortunate, they come back bad. 
let's just say that. And Jaywan James, he's somebody that I've already made a move to pick up in some of my deeper leagues. Uh, I think that he will be on uh, in the fantasy law guide as a sleeper tight end uh, just because of the way his fantasy skill set. He kind of moves like a wide receiver. And just because of the, I, again, I mentioned the barren wasteland uh, behind uh Michael Thomas, and now I'll say Marquez Callaway, there's room for a number two option to kind of emerge there. And that could be kind of a movable chess piece in J1 James. I like what I see there. I think it's worth, he's worth taking a last round flyer on. Just, you know, if we don't have anything there, you can always cut him. The cost is affordable because the cost is free. So yeah, I think he's worth taking a late round flyer on, a last round flyer on, I'll say. I've already moved to pick him up just in the in a couple of my leagues, just in the circumstance that these tight ends uh, ahead of him are hurt for extended period of time, but you just never know. And I like I like his upside if he is getting the starting role. Uh, I think is the opportunity, I think is the skill set to be a, a producer. So yeah, J1 James, definitely a name to monitor, and he probably will be on the Fantasy Law Guide next time you uh, pull it up and read it. Let's go to the Jaguar side real quickly. Um, actually, not real quickly, because there was big news there too. Um, man, that was pretty rough for the Jaguars, right? Like you'll notice that there are no Jaguars in my fantasy law guide at all. That's because none of them are in my top 75 and none of them are also as late round targets. So, um, I will be doing a podcast on all players that are not on my fantasy law guide, AKA players that I'm avoiding at or near draft costs, AKA players. I didn't want my readers or listeners to be in position to draft if they're following my guide. And what better way not to have my readers and listeners be in position to draft players than to just not include them at all on the entire guide. But I know that does kind of rub people the wrong way. People who may like some Jacksonville Jaguars, you know, God bless your souls. No, I'm just kidding. But people who like certain players that aren't on my boards, they want to know why. And that's why I am doing a podcast solely on players that I do find are being overdrafted. It's not that I hate these players personally. It's just that, you know, every player has a cost. And if they're too cost prohibitive and I like other players near that round more, then I'm not going to include them in my draft guide, even if they are fantasy relevant. So that's kind of the, the thought process there. And one of the players I didn't want players, I mean, didn't want listeners to be in position to draft was running back Travis Etienne, rookie running back there. And he got, um, you may be surprised that he wasn't on my draft board at all because his ADP was RB23. And I think it's like 5960-ish in drafts. And of course, my board, he's not anywhere near my board. He's not on it at all. So you may have been surprised not to see him there. You may have done a control search uh, or control find trying to find Travis Etienne. Like, why is he not mentioned? Well, I'll explain why he's not mentioned uh, just because it is kind of breaking news that he got hurt last night. It is some major news. I mean, he exited with a foot sprain. We don't know how long it's going to sideline him. It's going to be at least a week, but it possibly could be months. And it's obviously a massive blow to your spirits, and it could be a massive blow to Travis Etienne's ADP and to your fantasy teams if you drafted before my God and you drafted Travis Etienne. Um, I'm going to talk about why I hated his outlook in fantasy just to kind of address any concerns here, or not not address, address why he wasn't on my board, and then I'll do the rest of the players who were on my board in a future podcast. Um, Here's why he's not on the board. Here's what we know about Etienne's outlook. Um, the Jacksonville Jaguars drafted ETN in the first round. I think it was like 21st overall or something like that. They're, 
The the Jaguars came, the first thing that happened after the Jaguars drafted ETN was Urban Meyer comes out and he's their new coach, you know, coming from the college ranks here, Florida and then Ohio State. He's been a long time coaching college. He comes out and the first thing he does, he, he Urban Meyer says, oh man, like, you know, I wish I could have drafted Cardarius Tony. Now, here's the thing. Cardarius Tony ended up being uh, sniped by the Giants a couple picks before the Jaguars were on the clock. And let me tell you something. I've been following the NFL draft for a long time. I've been mocking the NFL draft for a long time. So I am very in tune with the, with the rumors and the interest of teams leading up to, throughout the draft process. I follow it like a hawk. You know, it is, it is like my number one passion in April, in March. And let me tell you something that never happens in my experience. What never happens is coaches after the draft say who they wish they could have drafted. Like they never talk about, oh, well, I wanted this guy, but oh, well, I had to take this uh, ET and he fell, he fell to our pick, you know, but I really wanted Tony. That may happen in your fantasy football draft when somebody snipes you, but that does not happen in the NFL. It's a very faux pas and it just doesn't happen because why are you going to start that player's career out by saying, oh, I wish I would have had someone instead, right? Like that's just ridiculous. It's just totally against the grain and it's just something that I, that may have happened like I don't know, in the last probably, I want to say decade that I've been, you know, watching, like monitoring the NFL draft process, I've seen that happen like less than I can count on one hand. So, but Urban Meyer just immediately says, man, well, we really wanted Cardarius Tony to play this role. The other issue with that is that, you know, they may not have loved Travis Etienne from the start. He may have been just a fallback plan. But the other issue with that is, Cardarius Tony is not a running back, right? Like Cardarius Tony is a wide receiver. So that's kind of alarming because if you're going to draft, you know, if you if you view Travis Etienne as the same role as Cardarius Tony, which he mentioned, then, you know, are is he really going to be getting a lot of carries for the Jacksonville Jaguars? I don't know. And maybe you like that he's going to be getting catches instead playing wide receiver because then maybe it's more likely, you know, in PPR formats, he'll be more valuable. Catches are more valuable than uh, carries in PPR formats. But the Jaguars wide receivers are already pretty loaded, as I'll get to in a second. So I don't like that he's a fallback plan. I don't like that Urban Meyer just comes out and just starts crapping all over the pick and say, oh, well, I wish we could have had Tony. And by the way, Tony is not somebody that teams really... Tony was kind of, I don't know, teams really didn't want Tony other than the Giants there. So after the draft, that wasn't even the most damning remark, excuse my language, that happened after the draft. After that draft in that same press conference, Urban Meyer said, oh, you know, we're playing, how do we plan to use Travis Etienne? Well, we're going to use him uh, behind, behind James Robinson, red flag number one, for fantasy value, behind Carlos Hyde. Okay, major red flag there. Carlos Hyde just sucks. So why, if you have a coach saying, oh, we just spent our first round pick on a running back, why in the world would you be confident in drafting Travis Etienne in the fifth round if the first thing the coach said is, well, we're going to use him behind our starting two running backs, James Robinson and Carlos Hyde. Major red flag there. He ended up clarifying and say, well, we're going to use a three-way running back by committee and kind of use ETN as our pass down back. Okay, that is not good, right? Like if I wanted a pass down back that's only going to be used as a third down back, I can pick Gio Bernard in round 13 and he's going to be used to pass round back, um, I mean a passing down back with Tom Brady rather than rookie 
Trevor Lawrence. And I know Lawrence played with Etienne in college. I get that whole thing. But, you know, Urban Meyer, he has like a type of the speedster guys that he used at Florida, at Ohio State. Think like Percy Harvin, Paris Campbell. He has a type. He wants Etienne to be that role. Unfortunately, that role is a change of pace role. It is not a role that's going to be a volume role. And that is not good for fantasy football. It's a speed back that's going to get 7 to 10 touches a game. And here, it's on a crap offense with a donkey head coach and you know a, a dinosaur offensive coordinator. So no, I didn't want Travis Etienne anywhere near my fantasy football teams. And I know it sounds like I'm totally you know crapping on Travis Etienne. No, I, I think he could be a fine player. But this is fantasy football. He entered into a bad situation. It's just unfortunate. Of course, I would have rather the Buffalo Bills been able to take Etienne or the New York Jets. That they needed a running back. They were reportedly high on ETN. Of course, I would have rather than go there or the Dolphins or something like that. But he didn't. He went to the Jaguars. He went to Urban Meyer. He's He was going to start out as the third running back there from all indications from the coach. And I just don't trust Urban Meyer. I don't want to really be a part of this Jaguars offense. I, I don't want to say that the fantasy managers who are following my draft dodged a bullet because we don't know the extent of his injury. I think that's a little premature. And and no, I also don't want this to be like a, a victory lap. Like I'm not going on Twitter and, and I'm not sitting here on this podcast bragging about how I called ETN was, was going to be a bust and now he's a bust because he's hurt. No, the dude got hurt. And for all we know, he could return and just dominate in the second half of the season and make me look like a fool. But the fact of the matter is that somebody had to draft ETN in your league. Right now, if you were the person that drafted ETN, it can't possibly feel good. You're not his value is going to decline and I'm just glad that I didn't draft you I didn't advise you to be the person that drafted ETN regardless of the reason that he got hurt uh and the same way that I wouldn't be that I sorry the same way that I would be devastated and pissed off if I did advise you to draft somebody and they did get hurt. I don't know, like George Kittle last year. Like I told everyone to pick him in the second round last year, he got hurt. So yeah, it works both ways. I'm not vic- victory lapping. Just like I'm not going to make an excuse for George Kittle being a bust last year. He did hurt your teams, and I did advise you to pick George Kittle. So. It's just too early for victory laps. It's too. It's a long season. Anything happened. He may Travis Etienne may be practicing by this time next week. But all of my reasons for avoiding and fading Travis Etienne stand, whether he's healthy or not. And him just getting hurt is bad luck. But again, the fact of the matter is, I am glad that I didn't put you in position to be drafting Travis Etienne. And I think those concepts um, can be mutually exclusive. So yeah, last night Jacksonville Jaguars. It, it, it did serve as validation that I'm happy that I'm not really targeting any Jaguars players in drafts. Urban Meyer, just old school. I don't trust this offense. I think it's going to be kind of an old school offense. I think they're going to, they could have, it could be kind of a fast paced offense because Urban Meyer was kind of fast paced, but I think they're going to be conservative in their play calling with a rookie quarterback. I think that it's going to be, I think Urban Meyer views this team as more than a year away from really kind of competing. So right now, I think they're going to preserve Trevor Lawrence. I think the running back situation will be a running back by committee, even when ETN is healthy. And I think they're going to have Carlos Hyde being involved in that committee a lot more than fantasy managers want because he's kind of a coach's pet for Urban Meyer. He played under Urban Meyer before. And Urban Meyer, uh, one of the first things he did when he took the coaching job was bring in the dusty old Carlos Hyde as a plotter. So I don't know. Don't like that. Don't. I think the wide receiver situation is also going to be a committee with LaVisca Chenault, with Marvin Jones, with DJ Chark. It's going to be tough to know who to trust who to start this week. It could be a total mess. Anyway, that is, there are a lot of fantasy impacts from last night's game. Glad we got through that. 
In other news, Carson Wentz. Let's talk about the other things kind of affecting my draft board. In other news, Carson Wentz expected to start week one. That's good news for Jonathan Taylor. Definitely a first-round pick for me. Taylor is in all formats, including full-point PPR. I know a lot of experts are kind of fading Taylor because he doesn't catch passes. It uh, doesn't mean he can't catch passes. I know Naheem Hines is there. I talked about why I view Taylor as a first-round pick pick regardless. And I think Carson Wentz health only helps that. It's also good news for Michael Pittman, his projected number one receiver, Clyde Edwards Elair. Looked at my kingdom, I was finally there to sit on my throne as the Prince of LA. Talked about how I dropped him uh, after I initially broke out the fantasy law guide. I had to drop him uh, from 14th overall, or sorry, 15th overall, uh, RB11. To I moved him to the mid-third round. I didn't want people in who were drafting at that time when we didn't know the extent of his injury to be in position to draft him because I didn't know if his injury was going to come back looking very poor. He could have missed significant time. Uh, there were rumors that it was the same injury as Michael Thomas. He did, Carlos, uh, Clyde Edwards, he lay out the Fresh Prince. He did practice on a limited basis. That is great news. That doesn't mean that this injury isn't serious, but the fact that he was out there is, is probably good news for his week one availability. I'm not going to be aggressive enough and just to act like the injury didn't happen and just move him right back where I had him, but I am tentatively moving him back in round two, late in round two, to where, you know, if he's on the if he's on the board kind of at the turn after you've have like Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, Zeke, whatever, then yeah, I, I could kind of see myself drafting Clyde Edwards Hilaire at the end of round two. Also I collectively moved all my quarterbacks down and I'm gonna explain why that is in this episode. And so I think that's it. So let's get to the mid-round players in strategy. And in that time, we'll talk about how to attack the quarterback position and tight end position in your drafts. All right, let's talk about rounds four through 10 is what it usually is, the mid-rounds in fantasy football drafts. And the first player I want to talk about is David Montgomery. Ew, David. Montgomery is somebody that I actually recently moved up to late round three. And that's because I think Justin Fields is going to take the field a lot sooner than maybe I thought beforehand. Beforehand, I kind of, before I kind of watched him play in the preseason, I thought Justin Fields was probably going to be the quarterback around like week five or something like that because the Bears are going to be moronic and, and wait for that period for whatever reason that they put up. I do think Dalton will be the week one starter, but now I don't think it's going to last long. Uh, it might not last until the first half. Um, he might get benched at the first half of the game against the Rams in week one. So Justin Fields uh, will be the starter. And I like the idea of David Montgomery running behind Justin Fields. I think Justin Fields is going to open up running lanes. I think this offense will be much better with Justin Fields. So I, I like the idea that there will be more scoring opportunities for David Montgomery. David Montgomery last year was a league winner. And I'm happy to report that because I was much higher on Montgomery. I had him several rounds above ADP in last year's guide. Uh, and that was before he hurt his groin going into the season. And even after the groin injury, I had him several, I think several rounds again, still higher than ADP. I ended up with a lot of Montgomery shares on my teams following my guide. So hopefully you did too. And it wasn't that great for the first half of the season because he just wasn't that good. However, after the growing injury, you probably got him late anyway, so it didn't really matter. Uh, however, first nine games, 
Only 3.2 yards a carry, 131 attempts, 432 rushing yards, and one touchdown. Uh, again, 3.2 yards a carry. That's RB29 pace and contextualized game log scoring. And again, that is my uh, scoring where I filter out all of the bad samples for games, like games played with a backup quarterbacks or games that are you know terrible weather where they can't even throw the ball or games that... Games that uh, players exit early, that happens very often, or ejected, whatever reason, I take those out of all players' samples because it's not fair. I add playoff games into it because why not want to increase the sample size? And then I rank, I re-rank the players in terms of points per game scoring. In the NCGS, contextualized game log scoring, David Montgomery, first nine games, RB29 pace. But it was a completely different story after... Uh, after the first nine games and the final seven games, and that's after Montgomery missed a game, I believe, or they had the bye week. After he got a little bit of rest, and keep in mind that is relevant because it was important going into the season because Montgomery was dealing with the growing injury going into the season. So that rest probably did actually help. But in the final seven games, the Bears offense started clicking and Montgomery was RB4 pace down the stretch. 22.5 points per game, again, compared to the 12 points per game in the first nine games. 22.5 points per game. He averaged 4.9 yards a carry, much more efficient. Obviously, Montgomery's role increased last year because uh, due to Tariq Cohen kind of tearing his ACL in week three. And Cohen, I don't think is going to play much of a factor this year, but the Chiefs did, I mean, sorry, the Bears did sign Chiefs running back Damian Williams, who has played under Matt Nagy before. And that is relevant though, because he knows Matt Nagy's scheme and he probably, he is a good receiving back. But David Montgomery proved that he is also a good receiving back. And I think that the Bears are still very, very high on Montgomery. I don't think, you know, Damian Williams being there, Tariq Cohen returning is a death blow to all David Montgomery pass, I mean, receptions. So to me, Montgomery's pretty close to being a bell cow. I do think he'll sub out on a lot of passing downs, but I also think Justin Fields is going to help this offense. He was a league winner last year, RB4 pace in the last seven games. And a lot of running backs couldn't do that, even with the soft schedule that he did have. So to me, David Montgomery is somebody, you know, being that running back is is thin, especially after like round two or three. David Montgomery is somebody you can target uh, late in round three, kind of get a value on him, especially if you start open your draft with maybe going like somebody with like Kelsey, or maybe you open your draft somebody like Devontae Adams. You can hit David Montgomery can be a solid running back two for your team. Uh, moving on, another decent running back. I'm moving on to round four right now in my draft guide. J.K. Dobbins is uh, the next running back I hear, I have here. I do have him lower than ADP, and I should have mentioned David Montgomery. I have also probably, I, I would say closer to ADP. I only have him four spots lower than ADP, but J.K. Dobbins, I have probably substantially lower. Uh, I think, yeah, it's about 10 spots lower than his ADP. And that's not because I'm hating on J.K. Dobbins. I just think he's being a little overdrafted right now. And I'm worried about the lack of receptions. Uh, Lamar Jackson has never been the quarterback to throw to running backs very often because why would he throw when he's the best running quarterback in the league? It's perfectly understandable. Uh, J.K. Dobbins' ADP is 28 right now. I have him at 34. Um, 
I, I, to me, J.K. Dobbins is an extremely talented player. I think he's really good, but they are going to be using him in this committee with Gus Edwards, who they did sign or re-sign this offseason to a pretty substantial deal. They did lose Mark Ingram. The numbers without Ingram or with Ingram phased out last year are relevant. In the final eight games, including the two playoff games and contextualized scoring, uh, J.K. Dobbins averaged 15.83 points per game. That was RB18 pace, and I do have him at RB18. So, And he was extremely efficient, but it was only seven catches for 79 receiving yards, zero, touch, zero receiving touchdowns in those final eight games. Uh, he did miss a second half against the Giants in one of those games, which kind of skewed the sample there. Uh, he could have had more because he was already having a good first half. But overall, I am expecting similar production from that late season pace, that RB18 pace from J.K. Dobbins. He's an efficient running back. He's playing in Greg Roman's offense, which is one of historically just one of the most run-heavy offenses in the league, and they have one of the best-designed run games in the league, if not the best. And the Ravens are a run-first team. They believe in J.K. Dobbins. They invested in him. They thought he, was a, they thought he should have gone in the first round. But I also think they believe in Gus Edwards as well. And they're going to split carries. I think J.K. Dobbins will be the 1A back. But this is just a great system to be uh, investing in. And I think Baltimore, they upgraded their offensive line by signing Kevin Zeitler. They have four or five quality starters on the O-line. Uh, Ronnie Stanley returns after missing a lot of last season with, or the second half of last season with an ankle injury. And that's their all-pro left tackle. So, yeah, this is just J.K. Dobbins. I think he's a safe pick. I think David Montgomery's a safe pick. But but ultimately, for Dobbins, to me, it comes down to pass catching. I don't like that in eight games last year, even after Mark Ingram was phased out, that he only had seven catches for 79 receiving yards. There's been talk that they were going to expand the passing game in, in Baltimore and that they were going to target running backs more and that they are doing that. I believe, I believe that to an extent, but to me, it just seems like there's kind of a ceiling there with PPR leagues in uh in jk dobbins especially because he's sharing carries with gus edwards he's kind of like a poor man's uh nick chubb in terms of production there but i like jk dobbins like if you're in round four and dobbins somehow slips like yes like definitely i like jk dobbins even in ppr formats just because why wouldn't we want to bet on at least like one of i think he's one of the top talents at running back in the league and one of the best running games in the league. Like that alone right there, just from a simple case, that alone, that, that's something that, like, why wouldn't we want to bet on something like that? So uh, moving on to, uh, but I am a little lower than ADP on J.K. Dobbins just because of the Gus Edwards issue, just because Lamar Jackson might steal some of those touchdowns at the goal line, and also just because I don't think, I don't know. I don't see myself as low on J.K. Dobbins. I see him right at the pace that he finished the season at, which was RB18 pace, and I have him as RB18. So I don't consider myself low on J.K. Dobbins, and I'm certainly not opposed to drafting him either. Um, let's see. Let's move on to a tier of receivers here, and that is uh, Allen Robinson, Amari Cooper, kind of Chris Godwin, Robert Woods, Tyler Lockett, and I kind of have them all 
jumped up in the same tier, like the round four wide receivers that I like. I'll kind of touch on them briefly, although nothing's really brief when I do it. But Amari Cooper, what really matters is the five games with Dak Prescott last year, 17.84 points per game. That's wide receiver 11 pace. I don't think people realize how good Amari Cooper was with Dak Prescott last year. Not only is that wide receiver 11 pace in the five games with Dak Prescott, that's only only one touchdown. 55 targets, 39 catches, 424 receiving yards, and only one touchdown. So Amari Cooper would have been a top five receiver, even if probably you know two or three more touchdowns would have gone his way. T- positive touchdown regression is coming for Cooper from that perspective. However, also keep in mind that Dak Prescott, the Cowboys were trailing big time in a lot of those games. But the point is, Cooper was really good last year, and he actually stayed pretty fantasy relevant, even when Dak Prescott missed time. Uh, so overall last year, Cooper, I just think Cooper's getting knocked a little much because of CeeDee Lamb's emergence, and that's fine. I have CeeDee Lamb ahead of Amari Cooper, and I could definitely see that, and I do kind of predict that CeeDee Lamb will overtake Cooper as the number one receiver, but that doesn't mean that Cooper's not going to be valuable. I still have Cooper as a really rock-solid fourth-round pick. I was a little concerned that he opened the season on PUP. He missed the start of training camp uh, with an injury, but he appears to be ready to go for the season now, and I like that he's tied to Dak Prescott. I think that I have I have Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb a lot higher than Michael Gallup, uh, which I'll get to why uh, when I discuss Gallup later. But yeah, Cooper, just solid pick right there. Minor concern about the injury, but uh, again, fourth round wide receiver. I don't think you can do wrong with Cooper as your number two wide receiver. Uh, for your fantasy football team. Allen Robinson, same thing there. I'm a little lower than consensus on Allen Robinson. I'm probably a little higher than consensus on Mari Cooper. I rank Cooper slightly above Allen Robinson, and that's mainly a quarterback situation. I don't know if Andy Dalton's going to be targeting Allen Robinson a lot. I project, I'm project, projecting that he is. However, that doesn't mean it's going to be efficient targets. Look, Allen Robinson's played with bad quarterbacks his entire career, and that's totally fine, and Allen Robinson's produced. However, with Justin fields in there. I don't know. I don't know. It's just tough to project Allen Robinson with the quarterback situation uh, as a top, you know, 10 wide receiver. I have him as wide receiver 15. I know that seems low. His ADP is wide receiver 11, A's B 30. I have him six spots below ADP. So Allen Robinson is probably not going to end up on a lot of my teams, but just with the uncertainty at quarterback, Justin Fields might look to run more. Uh, it, the history of rookie quarterbacks um, having Big producers in terms of fantasy football wide receivers is is pretty grim. I am optimistic about Darnell Mooney taking a a, a number a clear cut number two role in the pass catching option and maybe siphoning a little target uh, some targets away from Allen Robinson at least more than years past when there was no legitimate other option. I'm also excited about the possibility of Cole Komet, who I think is kind of a deep sleeper tight end. So the Bears have options. They're a run first team with Montgomery. They also have Damian Williams, who they might look to uh, get some more receptions. And again, this is all with Justin Fields, who who can run. So to me, with the rookie quarterback, I don't know, Allen Robinson, really good player, obviously, but I think that there is there are reasons that maybe a ceiling might not be hot as high as it was in years past when he was just a total target monster. So Allen Robinson, totally fine with him as a fourth round, though, if he falls in your draft for the reasons that I mentioned. Um, next receiver on the board, I have as, and this is the same kind of receiver tier here, is Chris Godwin. Look, I mentioned Chris Godwin in, in my first podcast when I was talking about Mike Evans. Mike Evans I think what's really relevant 
there is the final nine games where Antonio Brown, Mike Evans, and Antonio Brown played the full game. Like that's the sample size that I took for my contextualized game log scoring. That's the sample size that I care about because that's what's going to be repeatable this year where all of them are healthy to start the season. So Antonio Brown, Mike Evans, and Chris Godwin playing in the final, it was the final nine games of the season, excluding week 17 because Mike Evans um, had a second quarter exit in that game. And that's kind of the game that Godwin went off on against the Falcons. And it kind of really skewed his sample, but Mike Evans wasn't playing. So it's just tough to, like it showed his potential, sure, but it's just tough to include that in the sample. And that really hurt him from a points per game perspective. And then also excluding week 19, uh, AB had a third quarter exit and week 20, AB had a, uh, AB did not play Antonio Brown. That is, uh, in those nine games, Chris Godwin, only 13 points per game. That's wide receiver 43 pace, not ideal right there, right? Like, well, how can I have him as wide receiver 16? Well, I just think Godwin's kind of due for a bounce back season. He was heavily targeted in the playoffs, even though he had a five drop game against the Washington football team. But Godwin's just a really good player. We're a year removed from Godwin being the wide receiver two overall in fantasy football. And that, I, I mean, I loved Godwin that year. I mean, he's, he was kind of my one of my boys this year. I had him on a lot of that year. I had him on a lot of teams. And last year, I correctly called to fade Chris Godwin. He was going in the mid-second round of drafts. I thought that was way too high, and that was the correct call. So um, I'm not here to just sit here and brag on my takes because I can easily talk about how plenty of terrible takes that I have, but I've been managing to peg Godwin pretty well in the last two years, and I think I'm going to peg him well here again. I want to be a little above uh, market on Chris Godwin, but not so much to where you know you're really reaching for him. Because overall, I think he's going to have a nice bounce back season, but not really like a breakout season like we saw two years ago. And that's just because the receiver room is crowded. I mean, Brady has Mike Evans, they have Antonio Brown, they have Gio Bernard as pass catching back now that Brady might trust, who I'm pretty high on for fantasy this year. They also have Gronk and OJ Howard coming back whenever that is. So yeah, there's just a lot of mouths to feed, like they say. Um, what how what percentage of the pies? Chris Godwin going to get. But to me, Godwin's just a safe bet because he's a good player in real life. He's in a contract year. His quarterback is Tom Brady. It's it's year two of the Bruce Arians offense. And last year, he just dealt with a bunch of injuries last year. So to me, Chris Godwin's a nice bounce back candidate who I'm not really reaching for, but I'm happy to get in round four. Robert Woods. is another player who's always quietly underrated. I was really high on Robert Woods last year, and unfortunately, I mean, he was solid like he always is, but he wasn't as good as I thought he was going to be. So I think I may have been overdrafting Robert Woods last year. Last year, it was 15.83 points per game in 15 games last year, excluding Week 17 because golf did not play and, exclu and excluding the two playoff games because golf was also hurt in those games, even though he did play. Uh, he couldn't really throw the ball much with a broken hand, I think it was. But anyway... Uh, wide receiver 21 pace for Chris Godwin in, in CGS, uh, contextualized game log scoring. Not bad. He was a decent wide receiver too, and definitely a good flex option. Uh, however, you know, I don't know. Robert Woods is just solid. I think no Cam Akers may create some more pass volume. And But one thing I'm concerned with is just we don't really – it's new quarterback. I mean, is this, it is a quarterback upgrade with Matt Stafford conceivably. We just don't know how a new quarterback is going to be. But in theory, it is a quarterback upgrade, and they might not have a really strong running game. The Rams might not. So uh, I think their defense will regress. So overall, I like Robert Woods, again, probably to outperform 
Uh, ADP, actually, his ADP is pretty high. His ADP is 39. I actually have him below ADP, but I like him in this tier as a fourth-round wide receiver. I have nothing against Robert Woods. Um, I, I would like to think I'm right, really kind of consensus with Robert Woods, because even though his ADP is 39, in the drafts that I've done so far, he's slid further down than that. Uh, Tyler Lockett is somebody I'm above consensus on, but I view him in the same tier as the receivers I've already mentioned. His uh, ADP is wide receiver 20. I have him as wide receiver 18. His ADP is 48. I have him as, as 43 overall. So you might be in position to draft Tyler Lockett if you are following the guide, and I'm totally fine with that. Lockett seems to be ahead. I'm ahead of market on Lockett pretty much every single year. Same for Robert Woods, uh, except for this year, I guess. But we're going to continue the trade with Tyler Lockett this year. Last year, really interesting season for Tyler Lockett. Looked like one of the biggest breakout stars for the start of the season. Then he really hurt you down the stretch. In the uh, He ended up being 15.98 points per game in 17 games, which is wide receiver 19 pace to a wide receiver 2. But in the first six games, games. It was a tale, it was a tale of two halves of the season right there. Um, first six games, 23.53 points per game, wide receiver two pace. And in the final 11 games, 11.77 points per game, wide receiver 48 pace. And I talked about that when I talked about DK Metcalf, the, the Seahawks after a midseason inter, uh, interception binge by Russ Wilson. His name, his name's Mr. 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 Unlimited. Yeah, you got to be unlimited. You, know, you got to have a thought process of being unlimited. When they were letting him cook, the Seahawks decided, hey, let's be conservative again. And they started really kind of just pounding the rock. Chris Carson returned to the lineup. So they just started really running the ball and taking the air out of the, uh, really just not letting Russ cook. Tyler Lockett also was kind of dealing with a knee issue or knee tweak there. He wasn't really on the injury report much, but Pete Carroll uh, alluded to it and mentioned to it a couple times in press conferences where he's kind of dealing with his knee and kind of mentioned that he was dinged up. So Lockett, uh, that kind of maybe explains where he kind of went invisible, but he was still getting the targets in the second half. He just was not good and was not efficient at all. And this is a guy who really thrives on efficiency. He's always been so efficient with Russ Wilson, but I like that he was still getting looked. And I like that, you know, you can make the case that he was just kind of battling a knee injury and playing, but not at 100%. He did have a great week 17, but again, there was a stretch from like week eight to like week, I don't know, 16, where Lockett was really killing you. Like wide receiver 48 pace. That is terrible right there. But I'm going to give Lockett the benefit of the doubt. He usually outperforms his ADP. And again, in the first six games, he was an absolute, you know, looking to be a league winner, 23.53 points per game. And of course, a lot of that is skewed by one amazing 200-yard game, 15-catch game against the Cardinals. But nevertheless, Lockett is just a really good player tied to a good quarterback. And I like it as a fourth-round pick. Um, moving on to other players in the fourth round, kind of getting out of this wide receiver tier right there. Uh, obviously, you'll know in the draft guide that I've moved uh, Pat Mahomes, Kyler Murray, and Josh Allen to the fourth round. Uh, I will talk more about quarterbacks in a couple of minutes. But the other player I have as a fourth round pick is Kyle Pitts. And I definitely want to spend some time talking about Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts is definitely somebody that I'm taking a strong stance on in my draft guide. I admit that I'm betting I'm betting really high on him. Like I'm betting on him to be an outlier. Uh, historically, I've always kind of talked about the lack of production to tight ends. It's one of the hardest positions to transition to in the NFL, just with the blocking, with the receiving. There's just a lot that goes on for tight, rookie tight ends coming in. I don't really view Kyle Pitts as a traditional tight end, though. He's more of a wide receiver. I think he's going to line up in the slot a ton. 
The best rookie tight end season in NFL history was Jeremy Shockey and Evan Ingram, which is kind of like, you know, 70-ish catches for like 800 yards and like, I don't know, four touchdowns-ish. Uh, if you average those two seasons, which isn't that great. Like if Kyle Pitts has that, I think you'll be decently happy, uh, but maybe not at 37 overall, but you'll be happy if he ends up as like tight end three or four or whatever. But Pitts was drafted fourth overall pick. That was also higher than any tight end in NFL history. These are some of the reasons I think he's going to be an outlier, and I'm betting on him to be the tight end four, even though his ADP is tight end six at 66 overall. I have him 20 spots ahead. No, sorry, almost 30 spots ahead of ADP. I have him at tight end four behind Kittle, of course, and around behind Kittle, but I also have him at 37 overall. Now, if you're following my guy, that doesn't mean you're going to take him at 37 overall because some of these receivers that I have ahead of Kyle Pitts are going after 37 overall, but it does mean that you're going to be in a strong position to take Kyle Pitts, and that's exactly how I want it. I think that if you miss out on Kelsey, which is fine because I have him at about ADP, and you miss out on Waller, miss out on Kittle, I have all those guys. I haven't really taken a strong stance on any tight end yet, so if you're following my draft guide, you may be very likely to end up with Kyle Pitts. Like That's the plan at tight end, and I'm perfectly comfortable with that plan. I want that to be my plan. I want to end up with one of the top six tight ends this year. I think that's very important just because I'm just sick and tired of taking gambles on these like so-called sleeper tight ends that really just, I don't know, one out of every 10 just pans out. So it's just a tough bet. Like for every year that you get like a George Kittle and a Darren Waller or something like that, there's just like 10 other ones that just totally flop like last year's like Chris Herndon and stuff like that. So anyway, I want to be drafting tight end pretty early this year in the mid rounds. I know mid round tight ends historically uh, are not strong bets for fantasy, but again, I'm trying to argue that Kyle Pitts is an outlier, and here's why. I think he was drafted fourth overall pick, highest tight end in NFL history. He was amazing in college. His athletic traits were in like the 98th percentile, wingspan, 98th percentile, 4'4", speed, 6'6", 245. So great size, great speed, great athletic traits overall. And when I say great, I mean like, you know, near ideal, like perfect, uh, near 100th percentile, and or 99th percentile, I should say, I think that the Falcons losing Julio Jones is the biggest deal. Like, right, they only have Calvin Ridley there. I don't trust Russell Gage very much to be the number two receiver. This is a new regime. This is a new offense with Arthur Smith uh, taking over as the head coach. And Arthur Smith used his tight, uh, tight ends a lot for the Titans, uh, tight ends for the Titans. So <laughs> I like saying that. But anyway, he used a lot of 12 personnel last season, one running back, two tight ends. Uh, he led the league in that personnel by a wide margin. So I just think tight ends are going to be a massive part of this offense. I think Kyle Pitts is going to be a massive part of this offense. And it's not like I think, you know, Kyle Pitts is going to come and take the league by storm. Fantasy football is just about opportunity. And I think with Calvin Ridley as a number one wide receiver and just no legitimate other wide receiver options for Atlanta, I think Kyle Pitts just clearly steps into that role. And that's a really big deal for tight end production, right? And the other reason that I like him, the Falcons have no defense. They have no running game. So they should be having to throw. And they're also going to, they're going to be trailing games, again, more throwing. And I like that they play indoors. And I like that the quarterback is a veteran, even though I, I think Matt Ryan you know, has a chance to decline this year. It just seems like the Falcons are going to be in a position to be throwing uh, often in games, especially in the second half. And I like the environment for Kyle Pitts. And ultimately, it's even less about the player himself, who I do think is going to be a freak talent. But it's, but it's, it's just as much 
about this situation that Kyle Pitts enters into, which I absolutely love. So yes, aggressively reach for Kyle Pitts in your draft. Uh, I am doing that as well. And I think that spending a, you know, late fourth rounder on him, definitely he like, he's been my go-to guy in the fifth round. And I mean, if you can get Kyle Pitts in the sixth round and you don't have a tight end yet, that is just like absolutely gravy. That is amazing. So yeah, if you miss out on the top three tight ends, Kyle Pitts is my guy. Let's see. Let's move on to players I have around five grades on. Lamar Jackson. I think that he's probably worth a gamble in round five. Sorry, Miss Jackson. Uh, because I know he's a quarterback. I know quarterback's supposed to go late, et cetera, et cetera. I don't have him quite in the tier of the Patrick Mahomes and Kyler Murray and Josh Allen, who I would maybe be willing to take in, in, in round four, depending on how my team is shaken up by that point. But in round five, you know, let's say I'm really comfortable. Let's say I've gone like two running backs, two wide receivers, and or maybe I've gone three running backs and Kyle Pitts or whatever the situation is. In round five, seeing Lamar Jackson there, you know, I kind of like taking the gamble. Here's the thing. The Ravens, I know the receivers are kind of banged up right now, but they drafted Rashad Bateman in the first round. They drafted Tylan Wallace, who I like in the in the fourth round, even though he's not fantasy relevant. They already have Marquise Brown. They have Mark Andrews at tight end. Uh, they they signed Sammy Watkins, so they really kind of they've really bolstered this receiver group. They've talked about how they want to upgrade the passing game all offseason. Lamar Jackson he took a step back from his 2019 amazing season, but that's one of the reasons that I like players like Lamar Jackson, players like Chris Godwin, uh, players who were viewed really, really high going into last season and even produced at a high level. And then they had a bad season, so now everyone's down on them. I think it's more likely they regress to the mean, and I mean that in a positive way. Lamar Jackson was a superstar fantasy stud. He had the most... Uh, points for a quarterback position in any in fantasy football history in 2019. He won the league MVP. He was amazing. Like all things considered, he was a total league winner. And to me, I think he has still has that QB one overall upside. Do I think he's going to be QB one overall? No, probably not. I think it'll be close to the way he finished last season. Now, total last season, only 22 points per game in 16 games. Not ideal. He was quarterback eight pace. That's not what you wanted when you drafted Lamar Jackson in like round three or even some people were doing it round two last year. That's not what you wanted. So overall, he was a bust in terms of value last year. But Lamar Jackson did finish really strongly. Um, Final six games after kind of a COVID-19 did not play, 26.68 points per game. That was QB2 pace. So he definitely picked up uh, towards the end of last season and was starting to put those elite quarterback numbers up again. So I like. I was kind of against a soft schedule, but I liked the idea that Lamar Jackson can kind of get back to maybe not his MVP ways, but definitely like top four quarterback kind of ways, maybe even top three as a ceiling and be a good value in round five as somebody you could take uh, two, three rounds later than like a Pat Mahomes and maybe put up similar numbers there. So so yeah, uh, Lamar Jackson last year, another reason I like him is because he dealt with a lot of O-line injuries. They, they upgraded their offensive line. Obviously, the rushing floor is just amazing. He can run for 1,000 yards. Um, I, the, I mentioned the receivers being bolstered there. Last year, he, he did miss a lot of throws last year. 
and there was predictable play calling. There was a poor supporting cast, but he also had a lot of drops last year. Mark Andrews had the dropsies last year. Uh, he dropped, you know, several touchdowns or two or three touchdowns. Marquise Brown dropped two or three long touchdowns. So just more opportunities, I think, with better receivers, better offensive line. And I think Lamar Jackson will continue to be a, a very, very strong fantasy player that I like that you can get him in round five. Moving on to like a tier of running backs here uh, where if they fall in your drafts, maybe you have a chance at them, but I don't think you're really going to have a chance at them if you're following my guide because I rank them really a lot lower than ADP. That's Josh Jacobs, DeAndre Swift, and Miles Sanders. So here I'm just going to kind of explain. I have them each, I don't know, I want to say probably 10, 15, maybe even 20 spots for Miles Sanders lower than ADP. Uh, and so I'm kind of going to explain my reasoning there with Josh Jacobs. Obviously, I love Josh Jacobs last season. He was one of my go-to guys in the late first round, and he was solid. Uh, he didn't win you your league, but he didn't lose it either. He was very inconsistent. He was very game script dependent. He had games that would get you 25 points. He also had games that would get you eight points. And a lot of that was game game flow dependent. Josh Jacobs, he did not take the step forward in the passing game that I wanted him to take. He didn't make any major strides there. And his efficiency dropped as he kind of dealt with some nagging injuries. And nagging injuries has kind of been a... I don't want to. I want to. I don't want to say a trend for Josh Jacobs here, but keep in mind that even at Bama, at Alabama, he was not the bell cow running back. I think that the Raiders may be realizing with the nagging injuries uh, piling up in his two years as a pro. I think that they may be realizing that Jacobs is going to be more efficient if he's not a bell cow running back, and if he is just used as like a early down kind of. I don't want to say grinder, but early down player where you're kind of limiting his touches, where you're not giving him over 20, 25 carries a game. You're more giving him like 15 to 20 touches a game with like two or three catches. Uh, to me, it seems like that, that even might be a little much because that's what they did last year and it just didn't really work out. His efficiency declined substantially. The reason I have Josh Jacobs 15 spots lower than ADP, and, and in terms of running backs, I don't have him that much lower. I have him as RB9. In fact, his, his ADP is RB20. So to be clear, that's just kind of how the draft my draft board works this year. So even though I'm actually above, technically above consensus ADP on him in terms of position rank, I am way lower than him on ADP. Sorry, I'm only about 10 spots lower on ADP. But to me, I'm worried about the Kenyon Drake uh, signing coming in. I think Kenyon Drake's an underrated running back. He dealt with injuries last year, all year too. So he was ineffective, but we saw what he could do when he was at full strength in Miami as a change of pace back, as a receiving back. I think the Raiders are going to use him in the receiving game a lot. And that wouldn't be that big of a deal if not for the fact that the Raiders are not projected to be very good. They're projected to be fourth in the AFC West. It's a very tough division, and they have one of the worst defenses in the league. So this is a team that's going to be throwing often, and when they throw, I think Kenyon Drake's going to be on the field. So I think this is going to be closer to 50-50 than a lot of, than a lot of people may believe. And again, with Josh Jacobs' nagging injury concerns and also the fact that he was arrested for a DUI in January, may face a one or two game suspension at some point. To me, it seems like Josh Jacobs should, I, I don't know. That's why I have Josh Jacobs lower than ADP and PPR formats. Now, if this is a non-PPR format, yeah, go ahead, draft Josh Jacobs at or above ADP because, you know, catches aren't really you know, moving the needle there. However, it, being that this is a PPR list right here, 
Josh Jacobs, I mean, I read somewhere that Josh Jacobs averages 10 less, 10 fewer fantasy points per game in games that the Raiders lose. I do expect them to be losing more often than they're winning. So yeah, it's just it's just one of those game script dependent things for Josh Jacobs. Uh, for DeAndre Swift, I also have him uh, lower than ADP. This one's about 15 spots instead of 10 spots. I have him as RB20. He's RB18, but his ADP is 33 overall, which I think is way too high. Uh, DeAndre Swift was really good in the second half of last year, 17.62 points per game, RB9 pace, which is awesome. And I have him at RB20, so why am I doing that? Well, it's because they they hired Anthony Lynn, and Anthony Lynn decides to bring in, uh, or I don't know if he decided, Dan, Dan Campbell, the Lions, uh, Anthony Lynn, the Lions team, decided to bring in Jamal Williams. And since then, Anthony Lynn's talked about Jamal Williams like he's going to be the classic A-back and he's a bigger back. I'm worried that they're going to use him at the goal line more. He talked about how this offseason, how he never has to take his A-backs out of the game. They can really do, they can block, they can catch, they can get goal line, they can do a little bit of everything. He labeled DeAndre Swift as a speed pace back, like a kind of a specialized back, and, I, and they called him a B-back. I don't like that at all. So why would, that right there I think is alarming. And then... I don't know. We've seen several reports where the DeAndre Swift's tearing it up as a receiver or as a, as motioning him out to be a receiver in the passing game, basically. But we're not really seeing a lot of reports where DeAndre Swift's being used a lot in the running game. So in full point PPR leagues, yeah, there's a place for DeAndre Swift for sure. However, even in full point PPR leagues, I think that there's going to be a full blown committee between Jamal Williams and DeAndre Swift. I think it's going to be about 50 50. It's going to annoy fantasy managers who drafted DeAndre Swift. DeAndre Swift is clearly better and more talented than Jamal Williams. Don't get me wrong, but teams do not always do what you want them to do. And in this case, it is the Detroit Lions. So I think we should be betting that they will disappoint us. This is a team that's not projected to be very good. So, yeah, those are several reasons to be fading DeAndre Swift. He's also dealing with an injury right now. He's missed the last like two weeks of practice. And I think it's possible, maybe not likely, it's possible that he misses uh, the first week of the season. So I don't like that he's been missing practice time. And with all those things that I've said beforehand, you just have a running back who's in a running back by committee on one of the worst teams in the league. And with uh, a coach that just, I don't know, with an offensive coordinator who is run base, but doesn't really sound like he loves DeAndre Swift as his lead back. So I don't know. You can make the argument that the Lions will be losing a lot. So DeAndre Swift would be in the passing game a lot. But that argument relies on the notion that, or the assumption that DeAndre Swift is their total pass catching back. And I do believe he's a better pass catching back than Jamal Williams, but that doesn't mean that the Lions won't use Jamal Williams as a passing back as well. So yeah, it's just, I don't know. Uh, that's why I have DeAndre Swift lower than ADP. Miles Sanders is somebody who I really am low on this year. His I have him at 53 overall. His ADP, that is 20 spots lower than his ADP. So yeah, I'm very low on Miles Sanders. I see him as around five pick, but obviously he's not really making it there. So you won't be in position to draft Miles Sanders, um, especially, you know, especially Miles Sanders, but you also won't be in position to draft the running backs I mentioned before him, but especially Miles Sanders, he'd basically be pretty much off your board. Uh, to me, Miles Sanders, I think the the bullish case is that he's going to have Justin or Jalen Hurts is his quarterback, and he averaged 19.33 points per game, RB7 pace in the three games with Jalen Hurts. But that was a very, very small sample size. It came against bad teams. Uh, actually, no, one of those was the Saints game, which they had not allowed a 100-yard rusher in like 40-something games, which was very good by Miles Sanders, but it kind of caught the Saints by surprise. Um, I, this... 
it's tough because it's not that I think Miles Sanders is a bad player. I do think he's very, very overrated in the receiving game. I do not think he's a good pass catcher. I think he drops a lot of passes. And I also think that he's just not good in the passing game in terms of a blocker. I think the coaches, coaching staff realizes that this is main, the main reason I'm fading Miles Sanders is because I think he's going to be part of a committee. And the team, they've done a lot of running back moves this offseason. They drafted Kenny Gainwell in the fifth round, who's a solely like a, one of the best pass catching backs in a specialist in the draft. They uh, still have Boston Scott, who's going to take a lot of the pass catching work, of course, and that really hurts them in PPR for uh, in PPR formats. Um, let's see. I believe Jordan Howard's still on this roster. So he could, what if he gets, if he makes the team, his only thing that he does well is get goal line carries. That would really stink for Miles Sanders. And the team also signed carry on Johnson, but they've already cut him. So I don't know. There's just moves that the Eagles are making that really kind of make this seem like a running back by committee. Uh, head coach Nick Sirianni comes from uh, Indianapolis where they, he did have a running back by committee and he definitely had specialized pass catching backs. Uh, also Eagles running back coach James, uh, Jamel Singleton, he also downplayed the idea of an every down running back. I think Sanders will lead the team in rushing. Well, if not for Jalen Hurts, but I think Sanders will definitely lead the running backs in rushing for sure and get most of the running back carries. However, I just don't think he, I do think he's going to be subbed out on passing bouts. And if you have a one dimensional running back, what makes him any different than Josh Jacobs, like I said above, is that I think the team above, the Raiders are more committed to Josh Jacobs. I just don't know how committed the Eagles really are to Miles Sanders. And at least we know that Josh Jacobs is going to be getting goal line. I just don't know that from Miles Sanders. I like Miles Sanders as a real life player, as a real life runner, at least an early down runner. He's been efficient in his career and he also overcame an injury plagued off offensive line, which should be a lot healthier this year. So there are reasons to be optimistic on Sanders, but I think overall it's going to be frustration because I think there's going to be a committee of sorts. And I'm trying to avoid that for like my RB2 or in fantasy drafts. So let's move on to a, uh, oh yeah, let's move on to some tight ends here. Uh, I have a tight end tier of Mark Andrews and TJ Hawkinson. Now I've already mentioned that Kyle Pitts is my preferred option for tight ends and I'm reaching uh, pretty heavily on uh, for Kyle Pitts. Uh, Mark Andrews, I have as my tight end five. I've recently moved him up over TJ Hawkinson. And the reason I did that is because TJ Hawkinson just, I think, carries a little more risk than Mark Andrews. And I don't think his ceiling is that much higher. And I'll explain that uh, actually right now. I'll go ahead and talk about TJ Hawkinson first. I view these guys kind of like back-to-back picks. Like you can go either way on them. But I do want to be ahead of ADP on both of them because I want drafters to be put in position to be drafting uh, uh, one of the top six tight ends in fantasy this year, even if it means spending a fifth round pick on tight end, which is what I have. I have both these guys as a fifth round uh, selection here. TJ Hawkinson, look, the Lions, the idea there is that I've already mentioned that the Lions probably are going to stink this year. And they have Jared Goff at quarterback. And Jared Goff's not the most aggressive thrower. I think we've seen reports all offseason that Jared Goff has taken a liking to TJ Hawkinson. We've seen reports from beat writers that Hawkinson's really ready to take the next step. Hawkinson's eighth overall pick in the NFL draft, so talent is obviously not an issue there. Um, I think that Hawkinson is, I, I really just think he's headed for a big season. Now, here's the issue. 
how big of a season is it going to be for the Detroit Lions? Like, how much are they really going to get in the red zone? Does Hawkinson really have 10 touchdown upside? Uh, I kind of doubt it. I think he is. I think he's probably more likely to score like six touchdowns this year, but he'll definitely lead the team in catches and yards and probably targets for sure, which will be substantial. Uh, just the opportunity in PPR leagues will be substantial, which is great. And the reason it's going to be substantial, other than the fact that, um, of other than the fact that the Lions are going to be trailing is because the Lions have no wide receivers whatsoever. They have the worst wide receiver room in the NFL. Brashad Perryman, Tyrell Williams are the team's starting wide receivers. So we can just expect a lot of passes to the running backs, to the tight ends on this team. And I think TJ Hawkinson is going to be a primary option for the Lions. I think he's going to have a lot of garbage time this year. Uh, last year in his uh, last year in CGS, he finished as the tight end nine pace, but in the first 13 games, he was tight end five pace. He was uh, a nice breakout last year, and I think he's going to expand on that this year, but I'm just not I'm, I'm not sold that he's going to have this amazing season where double-digit touchdowns, that kind of thing. But I, I do like taking Hawkinson in the mid-rounds of drafts. He's definitely somebody that I have above market, and I want drafters to be in position to draft either if they miss out on Kyle Pitts for whatever reason, either TJ Hawkinson or Mark Andrews is the net are the next options there. And I like drafters having, or I like teams that have one of those top six tight ends this year. Cause I think after that, it is a real crapshoot at tight end massive drop off after Mark Andrews and TJ Hawkinson. You can see that because I don't have a single other tight end ranked in my top 75. And these guys are 47 and 48 overall on in, on my rank, on my draft board. So uh, Mark Andrews, let's talk about him. I moved him above Hawkinson, and the main reason I did that uh, was because the Ravens just have a bunch of injuries to the wide receivers. Uh, they brought in Sammy Watkins, but Rashad Bateman, their first-round pick, is already hurt. Uh, he's missed, uh, He might miss week one or week two, and Marquise Brown has also missed the last two weeks of practice. So to me, it just seems like Mark Andrews is going to continue his great chemistry and connection with Lamar Jackson. Mark Andrews is Lamar Jackson's go-to guy, especially in the red zone. I know that I was really high on Mark Andrews last year. I know that he was very, very inconsistent. Let's talk about his uh, 2020 CGS, 11.56 points per game in 16 games. That's two DNPs and two playoff games. Tight end six pace. He didn't kill you last year if you drafted him in the fifth round, but he also wasn't as good as I thought he was going to be. He didn't have the breakout season that I wanted him to, but he did finish uh, pretty strongly. He uh, first eight games, he was tight end 11 pace. So he really started poorly, only 10.71 points per game. Last uh, final eight games, uh, so you kind of split a season in half, uh, 12.41 points per game. And that's kind of when Lamar Jackson, things started really click for him. That's tight end five pace. So he's a top five tight end in the final eight games last season. He did struggle with drops. And that is the main reason that Andrews didn't have a better fantasy season. It wasn't just because, oh, well, I just predicted his opportunity wrong. It was because he dropped a lot of passes and that just kind of stunk. I mean, and he does tend to drop passes, but he really struggled with drops last season. He dropped a 30-yard touchdown against Kansas City. He dropped another touchdown that was put right on the money in um, against the Giants in Week 16. So that's two touchdowns right there. That's a big swing uh, in in fantasy football, especially when projecting tight ends, where he could have finished easily as a you know much better basically. So volume is a little bit of a concern in a in a run-first offense with Lamar Jackson at quarterback. The Ravens also like to run out the clock when. 
they are winning games. Most teams do, but the Ravens are especially conservative, and they play at a slow pace. But to me, Mark Andrews, he's just a great talent, besides the drops, of course. But if he can cure up the drops, just the opportunity is there. He's, a, he's just a total freak when he has the ball in his hands. Sorry, when he does catch the ball. And Lamar Jackson and Mark Andrews have always made sweet music since the moment that Lamar Jackson took uh, the reins uh, like two and a half seasons ago, uh, even in the second half of his rookie year. Uh, Mark Andrews was, has always shown a really strong, or Lamar Jackson's always shown a really strong connection with Mark Andrews, always been really efficient. So I think this could be a mini post-hype hype breakout. Uh, that should not surprise anyone. So I like Mark Andrews, T.T. Hodkinson's in the middle rounds. Let's go to the next receiver tier. This is kind of round five, round six receivers. Uh, and they're kind of all bunched up on my draft board. And that's for good reason. I mean, it's, it's kind of splitting hairs here. The one that I have ranked first is Brandon Ayuk. I have him at wide receiver 19. This is above ADP as wide receiver, as his ADP is 58 overall. I am at 49. And his wide receiver's his ADP is 23 overall. I'm having at wide receiver 19. Uh, sorry, I'm talking too fast for my own good here. Brandon Ayuk, really interesting season last year. He was a rookie. The Niners loved him in the draft. He was in. He was wide receiver 25 pace as a rookie, 15 points per game in 12 games. Six of those games, however, without George Kittle. In, in those games, he averaged 18.2 points per game. That's wide receiver 10 pace. In the 16 games with, I mean, the six games with Kittle, it was only 12 points a game. That's why I received a 43 pace. So you're probably wondering, ah, uh, Nick, why, if you know, if you're so into splits and you know that uh, George Kittle is going to be at least healthy for now, and you know he's much worse with George Kittle, why are you ranking them, you know, much higher than? ADP or much higher than consensus. Well, the reason is because I love the talent. He was only a rookie last year. And, you know, while there are low volume concerns with the rookie quarterback who likes to run, there are there is a healthy Debo Samuel, at least for now, healthy George Kittle, at least for now. Those guys are somewhat injury prone. If, and if either of them get hurt, then Ayuk's already a stud. But the other thing to consider is here that Ayuk put those numbers up with, look, I know everyone's kind of dinging him for having a rookie quarterback, but he put those numbers up with like three different Niners quarterbacks last year. C.J. Bethard, uh, Nick Mullins, Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, it was a mess at quarterback last year for the 49ers. So I think Lance, even though he's a rookie, will give some, I think they could form a connection there. Lance has a nice arm and Ayuk's more of a deep uh, pattern or he's more of a deep threat, especially than Debo Samuel is, who they use close to the line of scrimmage. So just two different players. And I think Ayuk's going to be the primary target at wide receiver for the Niners. So uh, easy schedule this year. I don't know. I just think Ayuk's ready to take the next step. I just believe in the talent. Another guy I believe in the talent for is T. Higgins. We're on to Cincinnati. It's nothing about the past, nothing about the future. It's right now we're preparing for Cincinnati. And he's the next receiver. I have him five receiver spots above ADP there. And again, these, these are all like my mid-round, like fifth, sixth-round receivers. Uh, T. Higgins, 15.63 points per game in eight full games with Joe Burrow. I excluded week one from that sample uh, in CG in my contextualized game log scoring because he only played 15 snaps. And I also excluded week 11 because Burrow exited in the third quarter of that game. That was wide receiver 23 pace. And that was as a rookie. Um, I think that... Yes, I know that he's going to be competing with Jamar Chase and Tyler Boyd for targets, but all indications this year are, even if you think that the receivers are going to have similar numbers, Joe Burrow is going to play, you know, they're going to be in the definitely top half of the league in pass volume. There's no real tight end in Cincinnati that's getting a lot of the receptions, so it will be a decent target share for all three of those receivers, honestly. And 
all offseason, we've just seen glowing reports of T. Higgins, like how much more explosive he looks, how much of a bigger leap they're thinking. He was just really good last year, and I also think he's going to take a leap in year two. Higgins reportedly has put in a lot of work this offseason. He totally looks like a changed player. That was noted by his, his own quarterback, Joe Burrow. And the opposite looks to be the case of Jamar Chase, who I have going right behind T. Higgins. I moved T. Higgins above Chase, where the reports are not as glowing. He's dropping passes. We saw three drops in the preseason game. I think mentally, Jamar Chase isn't quite there yet because he missed a whole season of football. He opted out for LSU last year, but I still believe in Jamar Chase's talent. I still have him above ADP, especially I'm recommending buying the dip. If there's any dip in ADP and he starts going to like round six, seven, yeah, I'm about Jamar Chase. I think he's going to be really good this year. I think, I don't know, his ADP already was a little higher than I would like it to be because I think people are seeing him as the nut as the next Justin Jefferson. If Justin Jefferson wouldn't have had that breakout season out of LSU last year where he just took the league by storm, I don't think people would, I don't think Jamar Chase's ADP would be in the 50s. But now that he's having the dropsies to start camp, I, I feel like that will put him in a range where you'll want to be drafting him. And to me, I think he's going to be a pretty solid flex option this year. Obviously, they they made sweet music. The, the chemistry there with Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase at LSU. Jamar Chase was just so good at LSU. He was unbelievable as a 19-year-old sophomore. 84 catches, 1,780 yards, and 20 touchdowns with Joe Burrow at quarterback. Joe Burrow personally vouched for taking Jamar Chase at five overall ahead of guys like Panay Sewell, uh, even though tackle was a more pressing need than wide receiver. So yeah, I think that you know Burrow loves this guy. I think that the, and I think he's going to overcome this little slow start, this sluggish start in practices that he's having. I mean, listen, we're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. Another wide receiver I have going in this range is Deontay Johnson. I have him right about ADP. Uh, Deontay Johnson was so good in a points per game basis. It's especially, and he is like going to be the poster boy contextualized game log scoring where I'm going to give a more accurate reflection of points per game than you would normally see from the experts or than you would more normally see just by opening ESPN or something and looking at his points per game. Um, because you're able to exclude weeks three, five, and eight from his sample and include a playoff game in that sample because in weeks three, five, and eight, he had first and second quarter injuries. I mean, first and second quarter exits. If you take those games out of those sample, which you definitely should, Deontay Johnson was wide receiver nine pace last year, which is amazing. Top 10, yet his ADP is wide receiver 22. He was way better than people realize on a per game basis. And that was despite his own case of the dropsies. He just knows how to get open. That is a skill. I think that, you know, he, Big Ben trusts him. The reason I, I have him a little lower is because I'm expecting a, a leap from Chase Claypool, who I'll talk about in a second. But I'm also expecting Pittsburgh mainly to be a little more Actually, potentially a lot more run-heavy than they were last year when they just totally abandoned the run after halfway through the season, and they had the first, they were first in neutral pass rate. So I don't think that that's going to happen. So he won't quite rack up the volume that he did last year, but I do think the target share will be somewhat similar. I think Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool are the Pittsburgh receivers you want to target and not Juju Smith-Schuster, uh, but we'll talk about that in a second. Cooper Cup is another receiver that I have in this range. I'm lower than ADP on Cooper Cup and Adam Thielen, uh, so I won't spend a lot of time on them. 
I do think Cooper Cup is due positive touchdown regression, only three scores last season. And I think the no Cam Akers helps Cooper Cup in the red zone, but he had offseason knee issues, and that's coming off the torn ACL that he had two seasons ago. I just think his knee is a little fragile. I think he's going a little high in draft sticks. We don't, there is uncertainty at quarterback. It looks like a quarterback upgrade, but I don't know. My vibe with Cooper Cup, or my gut instinct, is that even though it's a quarterback upgrade with Matt Stafford, then as opposed to Jared Goff, my gut instinct is telling me that like Jared Goff and Cooper Cup kind of had like a little a little marriage going on there. Like they they had a little rapport going on there. Like Cooper Cup was Jared Goff's guy and they always had a lot of connection especially in the red zone and you just don't know if you're going to get that out of out of Matt Stafford's new quarterback. So the Rams also have a couple of other receiving options that they signed. I know they're not much, but Tutu Atwell, Deshaun Jackson, they also have Van Jefferson there. So I don't know. To me, Cooper Cup's being a little bit overdrafted, but I don't think he's going to, at the end of the day, I don't think he's going to put up bad numbers at all. And he could blow this ranking out of the water and be a potential top 12 receiver with Stafford if Stafford kind of lights the world on fire, which he very well could going from Detroit to a Sean McVay offense. So especially now with the running back injuries that they've had there. So maybe I I could move Cooper Cup up a few spots, but to me, he's kind of in this tier uh, with the other receivers that I've mentioned. Same for Adam Thielen. I loved Adam Thielen last year. He was my wide receiver four. He was one of the players you probably ended up with if you followed my guide last year. Uh, I had him on a ton of teams. And it was great. He was definitely a league winner last year. He scored a ton of touchdowns. But Justin Jefferson emerged, and we kind of saw it in the final four games, where as Justin Jefferson averaged 16.27 points per game in the final four games, Adam Thielen only averaged 12 points per game in the final four games. Not a good pace right there. Uh, Adam Thielen also just finished the season, I mean, started the season a lot stronger than he finished it. He kind of faded down the stretch. And I just think he's 31 years old. He's due for possibly enormous touchdown regression. That's looming. And I just think the usage is going to be scaled back in a run first offense, especially with the emergence of Justin Jefferson. I love the player. I think Adam Thielen's an underrated player in real life. Obviously, I loved him last year. But to me, I think the pendulum's going to swing the other way a little heavily. So I'm a little lower than ADP on Adam Thielen. Moving on to round six is another receiver that I kind of group in that tier. That's Chase Claypool. Uh, I'm expecting a pretty big second season from Claypool. Uh, he's kind of a, kind of comparable to DK Metcalf athletically, and we saw uh, actually Claypool had a better rookie season than Metcalf, and we saw the explosion from Metcalf last season in his second season. There's definitely a feast or famine nature to Claypool's game. Uh, but I like players with high ceilings in the mid-rounds. I think he's the most affordable Steeler wide receiver, and I definitely prefer him over Juju Smith-Schuster for sure. And I think he's pretty close to the tier of Deontay Johnson. Last year, 2020 CGS, 14.99 points per game in 14 games, if you exclude week one, uh, weeks one through three where he had a rotational role. Uh, that was wide receiver 23 pace. I have him at wide receiver 25, so it's not that much of an increase in terms of projection, but uh, or in terms of outlook, I guess. But I do think that his ceiling is sky high, and he kind of hit a rookie wall last year, but he, other than that, he was really good. He scored 12 touchdowns last season. I think that Chase Claypool is definitely somebody that I want to be targeting in the mid-round of drafts. Another player that I want to be targeting uh, is Javante Williams, running back for the Denver Broncos. And he is a rookie running back. Uh, the Broncos were aggressive in moving up, trading up for Javante Williams 
uh, ahead of the Dolphins when they heard that the Dolphins wanted him early in round two. This is like the first couple of picks of day two of the draft. Um, I have some concern that Melvin Gordon is good. I mean, I don't have some concern. I do think that Melvin Gordon is going to start in week one and probably start the season. So Javante Williams is more of a closer. That means more of a player that you want to draft if you uh, want a player who's going to have a strong, not really do a lot of impact in the first half of the fantasy season, but potentially be a league winner or a very strong um asset in the second half of the season and picks like that are best for teams that uh, routinely make the playoffs like if you're an annual contender to make the playoffs or you do make the playoffs every year in your league then Javante Williams is definitely the type of pick you want to be loading up on guys that are going to finish strong help you you already think you're going to make the playoffs anyway these are guys that can help you go from playoff team to champion to win a championship so Javante Williams definitely somebody very very talented runner I think he was pro football focus number one college runner runner last season and he's definitely the future of the Broncos they had a high investment in Williams I think he's uh pretty good not sure how he is really is a not sure how many passes he's going to catch uh but I do think that Denver they're going to try to run the ball a lot seeing as their deficiencies at the quarterback position I think they have a decent offensive line uh coached by Mike Munchak one of the best offensive line coaches in the league I think they have a strong defense uh there's a lot of things in play that that kind of make me believe Javante Williams is going to be a really really strong closer or second half player to finish the season so if you have a uh if you play if you have a high percentage chance of making the playoffs you know if your league's one of these leagues that six teams out of 12 make the playoffs and you think you're going to be one of them then yeah, I like Javante Williams a lot. You can even move him higher than I have if that's the case. And I already have him higher than ADP, probably about by 12 spots. Kenny Galladay, DJ Moore, and Jerry Judy is kind of my next receiver tier. Kenny Galladay. He is obviously he's coming to the Giants from Detroit. He was, I mean, Kenny Galladay was a second round pick in fantasy football last year, and he's now going in like round seven, basically. I think the hate is a little too strong, and I know it's a massive quarterback downgrade to Daniel Jones. I get the negative offseason reports. I get that, you know, he's got hamstring woes, but this is just kind of a bet on talent. Reminder, you know, everybody was fading Keenan Allen last year because they didn't like his quarterback situation, and then Justin Herbert took over. Everyone, you know, he kind of got lucky and then Keenan Allen ended up being an awesome pick especially in the mid rounds of the draft Kenny Galladay is a similar bet on talent he's not going to have as good of a season as as Allen did last year but I like the fact that you can have Kenny Galladay as like a a receiver three like in round seven so I rank him just slightly above ADP and going into this offseason I did not think that was going to happen I did not want to associate myself with a receiver tied to Daniel Jones but I don't know he's a red zone threat it's um, Jason Garrett's offense who routinely does that stupid little fade play in the end zone that he did to Des Bryant so Des Bryant so much. So I don't know. Kenny Galladay, I could see it there. I could see him scoring, you know, surprising and scoring like nine, ten touchdowns. It's probably unlikely, but I do think he's just worth a gamble uh, that late in drafts because he's that talented. You know, a boomer bust is what you're going for here, and that's why I like Chase Claypool so much. So DJ Moore is the next one kind of in that tier. I am way lower on DJ Moore than the experts are. I have him as my wide receiver 27 uh, and, and 59 overall as opposed to 44 overall and wide receiver 18 by the experts. Look, that my I have nothing against DJ Moore. I think he's a really, really good player, but his, his skill set is just not conducive to scoring fantasy points. 
fantasy experts will argue that, oh, he's due positive touchdown regression. Well, that's been the case for like three years now. Maybe he's just not a good touchdown scorer, right? Like maybe he just isn't used a lot in the red zone, and maybe he just doesn't have the skill set to be a touchdown scorer. He's more of a, a deep play guy. He's a run-after-catch guy. Uh, I don't know. I love DJ Moore as a real-life player, but his fantasy skill set just isn't great. And also just too many players in that offense, good players. Like I know Curtis Samuel's gone, but he's replaced by Terrace Marshall. Terrace Marshall is a first round talent. Imagine if the Panthers took Terrace Marshall in the first round. They easily could have, if not for a little medical red flag that popped up during the draft process for Marshall. So we have a first round talent at wide receiver uh, replacing Curtis Samuel. And then we have Robbie Anderson, who's Sam Darnold's, now their quarterback, Sam Darnold's former wide receiver. He played with Robbie Anderson. Robbie Anderson actually outproduced DJ Moore last year in most games. So I don't know. It just seems like there's a lot of mouths to eat. Oh, and by the way, Christian McCaffrey is healthy now. McCaffrey only played three games last year, and he's bound to catch like 100 passes. So you have Sam Darnold supposed to be supporting Terrace Marshall, DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, and Christian McCaffrey. I don't know. I don't like it. I don't, I don't think, I think Moore is overrated as a fantasy prospect. So I have him ranked accordingly. Jerry Judy, probably a little underranked as a fantasy prospect. I have him 20 spots ahead of ADP. So pretty aggressive stance on Jerry Judy. A lot of reason for that is because I don't think Cortland Sutton is totally recovered from his ACL tear. I'm avoiding Cortland Sutton in draft. I'll talk about that in a future episode. But Cortland Sutton is not fully back. You can see it from his practice videos. He's still recovering from the ACL surgery. He's not there physically. He's not there mentally. So all of a sudden, Jerry Judy goes to be the number one receiver. He had an inconsistent year last year. He had a five-drop game against Buffalo as a low point. And honestly, he was outproduced in terms of points per game in, in my contextualized game log scoring CGS by Tim Patrick, which is quite embarrassing. But all indications are in practice all offseason that Jerry Judy is really going to take a second year leap. I am buying it. He was the 15th overall pick in last year's NFL draft. The guy is very talented, and I think he's going to have a really good uh, second year, take that second year leap. Despite the only reason I haven't ranked as low as I do is because, I mean, because the guy can get open is, and he's the number one receiver in my book uh, for the Broncos. The only reason I have him that low is because I think there's a little quarterback issue with Teddy Bridgewater, Drew Locke. I don't really know who's going to start there. Probably Locke to start the season, but I can't imagine that both quarterbacks don't make starts. So moving on, Raheem Mostert is my next uh, running back here. And Raheem Mostert, really interesting story right here. He kind of took the league by storm in the final eight games of 2019, not last year. He kind of helped the Niners make that push to the Super Bowl. And he helped fantasy managers win championships. I mean, he was a league winner in 2019 out of nowhere. He's a waiver wire pickup. And Mostert averaged 19.77 points per game down that stress, RB6 pace in CGS. And he followed that up by scoring 25 points in week one, and then 18.7 points and one half in week two before he injured his ankle. Uh, now, he couldn't shake the ankle injury for the rest of the season. He was hurt. It was a disappointing year after that. But this is a guy who was putting up great production in a span of 10 games dating back from 2019 going into last year where he started the league on fire in the first two games. I don't know if, he, if he's healthy, which he never really is, but if he's healthy, this guy has thrived in Kyle Shanahan's fantasy-friendly running scheme when healthy, and I think that he's going to be competing with Trey Sermon and running back by committee, but it's really just them two, and I think the Niners are going to be one of the most run-heavy teams in the league. Uh, they have the softest schedule in the league by far. Trey Lance is only going to help their running game. Um, I don't know. I, I think he honestly could be a league winner if Trey Sermon gets hurt, and Trey Sermon gets hurt a lot. So does Raheem Mostert. So I like actually both of them in the mid-round here. 
I'm going to go ahead and jump to Trey Sermon because it's a couple spots down, but Trey Sermon's similar, uh, similar idea. The Niners drafted him uh, pretty high. I think they traded up to get him. League's easiest schedule. Uh, Mike Shanahan's system, uh, you know, his son's Kyle Shanahan. This backfield, the San Francisco backfield, averaged the third most fantasy points in the league last year despite major running back in, de- in defensive injuries last year. So, yeah, I like uh, Trey Sermon and, t- um, and, excuse me, Raheem Mostert a lot. I'm a little, I think if you're one of those teams where I mentioned for Javante Williams, if you want a closer, I would get Trey Sermon on your teams. Like if you routinely make the playoffs and you want somebody to help you win a championship, I think Sermon has the best chance to be starting later on in the season. But if you want just a guy who's going to get probably 15 touches a game and just be really, really efficient, may have the goal line back for the uh, for a strong Niners running game, I think Raheem Mostert, he's obviously a really explosive player too, more explosive than Trey Sermon, but I think Trey Sermon's going to catch more passes. So I like them both, uh, if you couldn't tell. Um, Moving on to Corey Davis. Here's another player I really like. His ADP is 105. I have him ranked at 62. That means I'm over 40 spots higher uh, than ADP, than the market on Corey Davis. And I know his ADP is going to climb because of the preseason. Uh, He's showing out in the preseason with Zach Wilson. But... Oh, man. I mean, I have Corey Davis on almost every team I've drafted so far. I, I mean, he's such a value right now. He's the number one wide receiver, clearly, for the Jets. I think they're going to rotate their receivers behind Corey Davis, like Keelan Cole, Elijah Moore, Jameson Crowder, kind of a some possession, like smaller type receivers. Keelan Cole is more of a, just like a deep threat. Uh, Corey Davis is a, is a number one. He's an alpha wide receiver. Last year, he had a breakout season. This was the number six overall pick in the draft four years ago. So he, we know he's talented. We know he has great size, good speed. Corey Davis, he's just a good player. And last year he broke out and he parlayed that into a, a big contract with the Jets. I like him to be Zach Wilson's number one receiver. The Jets aren't supposed to be good. They're going to be throwing a lot. Zach Wilson is an aggressive passer, even though he's a rookie. So yeah, I think he solidifies himself as Zach Wilson's top target. I like Corey Davis in the mid rounds and you can get him in like round eight, nine, even 10 in some leagues. So Jarvis Landry, he's another player that I'm really, really higher on than ADP. His ADP is 106. I have him at 63, 40 spots higher than Jarvis Landry. And look, this is one thing I want to point out right now. If you see on my draft board that you see these players are 40 spots higher than ADP, that doesn't mean you have to take Jarvis Landry at 63. That doesn't mean I'm advocate you taking Jarvis Landry at 63. Be smart about it. Look at your league. See when Jarvis you think Jarvis Landry is actually going to go, and then take him in the 80s. Take somebody else in 63. Like You don't have to draft Jarvis Landry at 63 just because I have him ranked as a 63 player on my board. I have him ranked at 63 because I want to put an emphasis. I want Jarvis Landry, you to be in a position to draft Jarvis Landry and Corey Davis on on your teams and so but that doesn't mean you have to take them exactly at 63 you can probably wait until pick 90 and still secure Jarvis Landry like safely so Landry and I have on I think I have him on two out of my four teams I've drafted so far maybe three I think he's one of the most underappreciated players in the league last year he came into the season hurt with that I think it was a sports hernia injury and so he wasn't good to start the season no Browns player or receiver Baker Mayfield wasn't good to start the season the Browns office was just sluggish to start the season so he's going at wide receiver 42 and that's what he uh that's actually exactly what his cgs pace was last year for a full season but it was a tale of two halves here in the first 10 games jarvis Landry only averaged 9.2 points per game wide receiver 60 pace he was pathetic he was droppable he was dropped in some leagues and again that was because he wasn't fully healthy that was because he didn't know it was a new offense baker mayfield was adjusting to it it was just it was just all the things going against landry however 
final six games, everything changed. 18.73 points per game. Wide receiver seven pace in the final seven games, including playoffs. That is crazy. Wide receiver seven. Jarvis Landry was a top 10 receiver in the final seven games last year. His ADP is receiver 42. I know Odell Beckham is going to come back. I don't care. Jarvis Landry is the number one receiver for this team. It may not seem conventional, but he is going to get, I believe, the most targets on this team, and he should be drafted ahead of Odell Beckham and ahead of a lot of players that are drafted before him. Landry consistently finishes, unlike Odell Beckham, consistently finishes every year as like Right receiver 24, somewhere around there. He's consistently undervalued. He goes after that every year. Even when he was with the Dolphins, I concede that Landry is a low ceiling pick. I concede that you want league winners here, but he is a near lock to outperform his wide receiver 42 ADP. I think he's going to finish closer to wide receiver 24. And one reason he's going to do that is because the guy never misses games. He's missed one game, I think, in his entire career. I mean, he is just steady Eddie. He's a player who's just severely undervalued in fantasy drafts. You can get him as your wide receiver four. Uh, Devontae Smith, also you can get his wide receiver four. Not much to say on the rookie here. He was the 10th overall pick in the draft. He won the Heisman last year. He's very undersized. He's six foot 166. I'm 166 pounds. Probably not ideal if I'm ranking a player who's my size. I wish I was six foot, but my weight going um, going at 64th overall, my board, again, his ADP is 86, so you can kind of wait a little on him, but I do think he's a top receiver for the Eagles. I think the Eagles are going to play at a decent pace. I think the Eagles have a terrible, not a terrible defense, but a pretty bad defense. They're projected to be the worst team in their division, so they're going to be throwing often. I know Jalen Hurts isn't probably the quarterback you want tied to Devontae Smith, but I think he's the best receiver on the Eagles by far. So yeah, I like Devontae Smith a lot, just sheerly based on opportunity, and I also think he's a good player as well. So the next players I have, I have a little uh, quarterback tier with Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers here, and you can mix those guys in. If you think you're going to be able to get like Jarvis Landry, Corey Davis, like Trey Sermon, Raheem Most, if you think you're going to be, if you think you can get them later, then yeah, go ahead and sneak Tom Brady in there. Like if you are confident you can get Corey Davis or Trey Sermon or or Jarvis Landry or two of those three, like in round. I don't know, nine through 11 of your draft, if your league's kind of casual, then go ahead and slip Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers in there and still get those players anyway. Like I said, just because I rank them high on my board doesn't mean you have to follow it as gospel. Like, be smart about it. And if you think that you can sneak Brady or Rodgers in there and solidify your quarterback spot and then still get Trey Sermon, still get Jarvis Landry and Corey Davis, which you probably can, then go ahead and do just that. Uh, You got to be smart about, you got to know your league, you got to be smart about it. So this is just a draft guide. It's not something you have to say, oh, well, you know, Jarvis Landry is the next available player. I got to take him here. No, look at it as ADP. That's why I provide ADPs in the draft guide and be smart about it. So anyway, AJ Dillon is my, I'm going to skip quarterbacks for now. I'm going to skip Rodgers and Brady. I'm going to do all the quarterbacks kind of on one show, just kind of give you my quarterback strategy like I did with tight end earlier. AJ Dillon, he's another one of those uh, players I'm drafting around Trey Sermon. His ADP is 103. He's going into RB40. I have him as RB25. It doesn't mean, you know, these aren't rankings. It doesn't mean I think that uh, AJ Dillon is going to finish as RB25. It's not an accuracy contest. This is about winning your league. And AJ Dillon, extremely volatile. Uh, one of the reasons I like AJ Dillon, AJ Dillon, excuse me, is that I think he's going to be a league winner if something were to happen to Aaron Jones. But that's obviously not one reason to just uh, rank a guy so highly just because you think another guy might get hurt or if it does. But no, there are other reasons to like AJ, AJ Dillon. He is tied to an elite offense with Aaron Rodgers as quarterback. He's enormous. 
I mean, the guy's 60247, highly productive college running back. He ranks in the 95th percentile of weight adjusted 40 time. He's fast, 98th percentile of vertical leap. He, um, I mean, he, the guy's just a freak athlete, okay? And a lot of people don't realize that. He's known as Quadzilla. His quads are absolutely just gigantic. Girl, look at that body. Girl, look at that body. Girl, look at that body. I, I work out. I'm not that's not necessarily a reason to draft a player per se, but I am jealous. But no, AJ Dillon, he was very productive in college and and just dominated at the NFL Combine. Just awesome spark athleticism. So my point of all this is, if he gets the opportunity, he I think he's going to show out, and I think he will get the opportunity. Jamal Williams is gone in Green Bay, and now AJ Dillon is the number two guy behind Aaron Jones. I mentioned when I talked about Aaron Jones, I think this is going to be more of a 50-50 split, probably maybe a 60-40 split in favor of Jones because Jones is awesome. But AJ Dillon, what if he gets the goal line backs there? I mean, he's a 400, he's a 270, 247 pound bruiser. So if he gets goal linebacks for that elite Packers offense, that's going to be money right there. And you can get A.J. Dillon very, very, very late in your draft. I mean, his ADP is 103. You don't have to take him at 68. That's just where I have him because I want you, if you're drafting off this guide, I want you to have A.J. Dillon on your teams. He is a bit of a lottery ticket, just like Trey Sermon. That means that he might not help your team at the beginning of the season, but he's one of those guys to where the upside is so high, the ceiling is so high, and I want you to be stashing these types of players on your bench to where you know you start off the season with your starters, and if they don't work by the time you know week eight rolls around, maybe AJ Dillon is seeing a significant role in this Packers offense. He might have standalone value, but and if something happens to uh, Aaron Jones, he's going to be a league winner. And keep in mind, the Packers uh, invested highly in AJ Dillon. I mean, they drafted him in the second round two years ago when everybody and their mom thought that the Packers were going to take a receiver. They did not. Uh, it, it pissed Aaron Rodgers off, but. A.J. Dillon, you know, this team loves A.J. Dillon, and they want to use him with Aaron Jones, a perfect compliment. Uh, uh, the next player, Damian Harris, and this is actually the last player that I'm going to get to in this podcast today because I'm going to talk about my quarterback strategy in the next podcast because we are already about an hour and a half in. Damian Harris is another one of these running backs. It, he is one where, you know, you're not just drafting to stash away. Unlike A.J. Dillon, unlike Trey Sermon, there's different types of running backs here. And you want to you wanna fill your roster. You want to balance it out. Like, don't draft all running backs. Like, don't end your draft with where Javante Williams for Denver, uh, Trey Sermon and A.J. Dillon are your RBs two, three, and uh, sorry, RBs three, four, and five. Because then you're not going to have anyone to be able to play like in the flex. And if something happens to your starters early, you're going to be kind of screwed. Like instead, you want to mix mix and match these players that are going to start the season like in a rotation. And then I predict they're going to show out later in the season and be potential league winners. Guys like Trey Sermon, guys like uh, Javante Williams and A.J. Dillon, I have them all there because I want them on your teams, but I also don't want you to, you know, be, I, w- I want you to balance out. Sometimes you need guys like Damian Harris here who are going to start the season as a starter. And that's what's going to happen with Damian Harris. He's a starting running back for a run first team with a great offensive line. Who's going very, very late in drafts. His ADP is 67. Um, no, sorry, 76, excuse me. His ADP is RB29. I have an RB26. I want to be ahead of market on Damian Harris. There is a chance that there's an, this is an RBBC, a running back by committee. They drafted big back Ramon J. Stevenson. He's showing out in the preseason. Uh, he kind of he plays like LeGarrette Blunt. 
they have Sony Michelle. He's also looked pretty good in the preseason. They have James White getting pass catch. Yeah, there's a scenario where Damian Harris is totally just kind of phased out. And that's why I don't have, not phased out, but in a, in a committee here, splitting carries, sharing the load. Uh, and that's why I have him ranked lower than I did, because I think that's more of a possibility now. But Damian Harris is a really good player. He was a top five rusher, just as a rushing grade on, P- on Pro Football Focus for what it's worth last year. I think that's pretty impressive. He was re- he was very good on the ground last year. He was very efficient. I know it was only nine points per game in 10 games, which is RB34 pace. But I think he's going to have a bigger role now. And last year, he was siphoned at the goal line a lot by Cam Newton. And that could be the case this year, at least early on, but I think eventually Mac Jones is going to take over this team and that's going to be really where Damian Harris could shine. So, and also there's been glowing reports, even by Bill Belichick this off season about, um, about Damian Harris's leadership, what type of worker he's been and how good he's been this off season. So yeah, in non-PPR formats, you can bump Damian Harris up because his skill set isn't suited for PPR formats. He just doesn't catch passes. He's a zero in a passing game, a total ghost. But uh, with that being said, I still think he's valuable enough to pick as a starting running back on a run first team behind a good offensive line. So yeah, I like Damian Harris, but I don't like him enough to uh, bypass potential league winners, even if you have to stash him first, like Trey Sermon, uh, A.J. Dillon, and uh, like Javante Williams. So yeah, there you have it. Those are some mid-round running backs that I liked. I mentioned I mentioned Raheem Mostert. I mentioned Javante Williams. Um, I mentioned Damian Harris, Trey Sermon, A.J. Dillon. I like all those guys. And you can get them uh, late. Like you can get them rounds 7 through 10, even 7 through 11 or 12 in some casual leagues. So uh, yeah. So that'll conclude this podcast. We have set it all for the mid-rounds. The only thing I didn't get to was quarterbacks. I'm going to get to my entire quarterback strategy in the next podcast episode, so please tune in for that. I'll also talk about late-round strategy, my sleepers at running back, receiver. I'll mention a couple sleeper tight ends. I'm not tired. Uh, what I'm doing at kicker in defense for what it's worth. So yeah, we're doing the full spectrum here. So please tune in to next episode. If you like this podcast, feel free to subscribe. Thank you for tuning in, everyone. See ya.